around here. Captain! Signatures detected. Shields up. Signatures detected. Context Southfleet Command. What's happening? Context Southfleet Command. Delay that order. Context Southfleet Command. This is the captain. Context Southfleet Command. Get out of my chair. Chair, 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 chair. We have engaged the Klingons. Klingons. Welcome to The Greatest Discovery. It's a Star Trek Discovery podcast from the makers of The Greatest Generation. I'm Adam Pranica. I'm Adam... <laughs> I almost said I'm Adam Pranica. Say it. <laughs> I'm Ben Harrison. I bet you've wanted to say that for a long time, huh? Felt weird, but also good. Let me tell you something, Ben. You're gonna have to kill me first and then wear me as a skin suit, you sick fuck. Is that how it works? You covet what you what you're close to. I've seen enough episodes of Dateline NBC to know that that the first suspect in any uh, podcast host's murder is uh-huh. the co-host. Yeah. So you better be good at covering up your tracks, man. <laughs> is there any room in your heart, Adam, for more Star Trek than already exists in the world? Yeah, yeah. I'm like. Uh, I'm like the the reverse Grinch. My my heart grows sizes in proportion to the new Star Trek show announcements. You're like Star Trek polyamorous. Love is a renewable resource. Time is a finite resource. <laughs> <laughs> That's it exactly. Yeah. You want that I mean, that new Trek energy. I I want to fuck all the Treks. Clearly. I have room in my bed for them all, Ben. One weird thing about doing these podcasts is like news, you know, they're not like super timely, obviously, and we're, uh-huh. we're on a schedule, so news breaks, and I don't want to like blow my load spouting off my opinion on Twitter. <laughs> but, yeah, you want to blow your load on me. But then like 700 people tweet me things about the about news that's breaking, and I'm like, I... I don't want to be, like, weird and rude and not respond to you, but I also, like, have a place for that. <laughs> it's not here. Oh, it, it's not responding to Trek Fan 69 or whatever? <laughs> that's one of the best Trek fans, though. Yeah, that's true. I mean, it's also me. You should know that. That's my, that's my alternate... One of, your, one of your many Shadow Puppet accounts? Uh-huh. Yeah. It's the only way I can use Twitter anymore. Wow. Uh, but there's news, right? They, they've announced the name of the new Picard series. Uh, it's Star Trek colon Picard. Oh, it's the there's a colon in that title? That actually concerns me greatly, <laughs> given what we know of things with colons from our hit podcast, Friendly Fire. Um, and it's going to be on CBS All Access in the U.S. and Amazon Prime everywhere else. Is that right? Yeah. That's kind yeah, of that's an right. unusual twist of the knife. Well, I mean, it doesn't affect us much, I guess. It doesn't, but it's it's got to be a little bit irritating for our overseas friends. I mean, not as irritating as using CBS All Access. <laughs> sure. I mean, they've got that going for them. Yeah. So I, I would say that they're doing all right. But if you want to keep up with all the new Trek, you have multiple streaming services to pay a monthly subscription to now if you're if you're not a, a US person. Maybe that's why CBS did it that way. Maybe they don't want to like make anybody not them too much of a Star Trek juggernaut. I am reluctant to put myself 
in the head of anyone who is on a board of directors for a, a publicly traded company. Yeah. So I don't, I don't know what the hell these people are thinking. It's probably the board of directors that decides that, right? I can tell you one thing. This Picard show is going to be a huge hit. Like, it has to be, right? It's it's a license to print Latinum. It is, uh, it's going to be massive. It's going to be the biggest thing that uh, CBS All Access has ever done, right? Like, that, that seems to be a safe bet. It does. I talked to a television producer one time when um, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. was first about to about to drop and uh-huh. he said uh, he said something that sounds very similar to that like they're they have too much on the line for that show not to be successful it like yeah. one way or another they will make that show successful whether and, you like it or not this yeah. is going to be successful <laughs> I, I mean i never i don't did you ever watch that show no because i've never re- like outside of the x-men cartoon my enjoyment of the Marvel properties on television is fairly limited. And and actually uh, in movies, too. Like, I'm not a huge Marvel Cinematic Universe guy. Yeah, I still haven't seen Adventures and Games. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sure it's great. People seem yeah. to like it. Yeah. I'll, I'll see it eventually on the back of a, you know, a TV and on the airplane kind of a deal. Yeah. The way the director intended. <laughs> yeah. Peeking over a, a a pile of empty tray table cocktail glasses. Yeah, staring down it at a bad angle because the person in front of me leaned their seat back. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> uh, but, I, I mean, we don't really know much beyond that, do we? I mean, we have one screen grab, and then <laughs> we have uh, a title card. The screen grab has has a, a TNG-ish uniform in it, which is fun. And what I am arguing is an action jacket. Though we don't see the bottom, it could be buttoned uh, in a cardigan-style fashion. It looks like uh, it looks like it has the shoulders and the construction of a jacket to me. Yeah, um, there is always a three-letter abbreviation. Uh huh. For Star Trek shows, is this one going to be Stone Temple Pilots? I mean. Yeah, it has to be. It's as it's as obvious to me as Star Trek Picard was as a title. Like, how could you even think of naming this anything else? Yeah, I mean, no surprise there, but also... But also, we were told that wouldn't be the title. And like every everything else dribbling out of the Star Trek industrial complex... Yeah. Uh, not to be believed. Don't don't believe anything. They're fucking liars. They're, yeah. They're a, a pack of dirty liars. I... I think I said this before on some other show. I'm fine being lied to. Like this is the relationship I'm okay with between me and <laughs> and and big Star Trek. Like I'm I am happy to be surprised when TNG cast members appear on this show after being told that they wouldn't be. Like I'm fine with that. Lie to me. Lie to me. Super fine with it. Wow. Well, uh, it's all very exciting, but it's not really what we came here to talk about today, is it? We're gonna do a show about this show, right? We're going to do a Picard show show? Oh, you know, I really think that this podcast, this current podcast that we are on, I would ride for changing the name of it to Uh something a little bit more all-inclusive and having it just be the show we use to talk about new Star Trek things. Yeah, okay. 
I mean, it's a pain in the ass. We have to change the logo and... Uh, we could call it a new Star Trek, but it's uh, A-N-U-S and then next line, Tar Trek <laughs> as the title. That's uh, that's how you make yourself rise in the search rankings. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> Ain't a Star Trek. <laughs> From the brilliant minds that brought you The Greatest Discovery and uh, The Greatest Generation. Yeah, I want to know who isn't searching for anus Tar Trek. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what to call it. I feel like it needs a catchy name. I'm, I don't think... Don't send us your ideas. I want them to come from us. Yeah. I think the working title might be anus Tar Trek. <laughs> <laughs> You're such an idiot. <laughs> Well, uh, <laughs> cut to the inside of my brain, and it's just like four blinking Christmas lights on a <laughs> on a string of like two hundred. <laughs> <laughs> We're burned out. We're burned out. Uh, Adam, speaking of buttholes, there's the implication of space buttholes in the. Star Trek Discovery thing we're going to be talking about today. Do you want to get into it? Yeah, I do. It's back to comics, Ben. It's the Star Trek Discovery off-season, and today we are beginning to read Star Trek Discovery Captain Saru. The Discovery annual comic book that uh, IDW puts out. Like, the first page is fucking confusing, is it not? Yeah, it is. It gives you nothing nothing to hang your hat on. W slash R slash T dream sequence. And I read this on my iPad and I wondered, was this page opposing the next page or was, or did you have to turn to get to the next page? Cause I feel like if I'd seen these color, the colors on this page and the colors on the next page next to each other, I might've like done the mental math of this is a dream. Mm, that's fair. But this is a, a scene in which Saru is talking about blueberries being the the spore drive on Discovery is powered. Kind of sounds like that might have been a first draft, like uh, like a wink back at the writer's room. <laughs> Remember for a hot minute where it was blueberries? <laughs> sure glad we didn't go with that idea. That's fun. Yeah, the desaturated colors of this page are the only indication that this might be a dream. That and the idea that Saru would ever eat the contents of the spore drive, uh, which is which is what he's doing here. Yeah, we know that that makes you trip balls. So then that also occurred to me was, is he having like a mushroom trip? We know factually that the mushrooms are very minty tasting and not <laughs> fruity tasting. Yeah. Well, he wakes up. He's being, uh, he's being summoned by Michael Burnham and they go to the Louvre in Paris. These are two characters that belong in a museum. Ben. Yeah, a uh, a Paris landmark that has not been destroyed recently. It's very in keeping with Star Trek commenting on its own characters that for their free time, our main characters would be interested in the consumption of, of high culture, right? Art and culture. These yeah. are two characters that are not interested in the many culinary delights of a, <laughs> of a Paris, clearly. Well, we just, this is just one part of their vacation that we see. Because they're on shore leave. This is, I guess, this is set in between the advent, events of the end of the Klingon War and them heading to Vulcan to get a new captain, right? right. Yeah, the very first page, like on the title page of this comic, it says 
pretty clearly uh, we're in between seasons for this story. It uh, It's not even quite in between seasons because, I mean, they run into the Enterprise at the end of season one. So this is actually within an elliptical edit in the last episode of season one. Oh, yeah. The story takes place after the events of season one of Star Trek Discovery, before the arrival of the Enterprise. There you go. So they're talking about what this dream means, and Saru is unwilling to entertain that it has anything to do with anything other than being scared of everything all the time. I feel like if you were to draw Data's head on Saru's body, this all sounds like Data to me, you know? Hmm. Like Saru being the Data of Star Trek Discovery. His lack of understanding of things like like a like a dream life and his need for those things to be interpreted by a human companion. However, unlike Saru, Data's ganglia are fully functional and programmed in multiple techniques. <laughs> right. <laughs> Yeah, this is pre-loss of ganglia, Saru, also. So he's right. still, he still uh, possesses that timidity of, of a prepubescent Kelpian. We know so much more about him than he knows about himself. Right. And that is a weird place to engage this story, I think, because for the entire run of both the show and the comics, you and I have come to the story with fresh eyes. Right. Like seeing things totally new. Yeah. Well, anyways, uh, they, they're checking out the Winged Victory of Samothrace, a, uh, a sculpture in the Louvre that's, uh, I guess, a, probably a Greek sculpture, right? It's a yeah. head knocked off of a winged lady body. It's Nike. It's the, it's the Hellenistic sculpture of Nike. Wow. To Saru, it, uh, it very adventurously represents Starship Discovery. <laughs> yeah, Nike was the Greek goddess of victory, Ben. Yeah. This is like my uh, my childhood friend Brian, who had very bad asthma, got a dog that uh, was hypoallergenic, and they named they named their dog Nike because uh, it was like a, a big victory for him to be well enough for them to get a dog. The uh, the dog was also a headless dog. No, she was a nice dog. She had a head. There are plenty of nice dogs without heads, Ben. <laughs> How would you know whether they're nice or not when they're dead? I don't know. Anyway, this comparison to the Discovery doesn't end there. The The Discovery is also without a head, Ben. It's without a captain. It's, it's like a metaphor, man. <laughs> and uh, Michael's riding pretty hard for the idea of Saru being that captain. I thought this was so interesting because in my head... It has always been a question whether she would get the promotion before him, given that she used to be the first officer of the Shenzo that he reported to, and they've kind of flipped roles in her post-being-in-trouble-for-mutiny days. But she really advocates for the idea that he's ready and he's the one it should be. What do you make of her career martyrdom, you know? Like, her job experience seems pretty strong. Yeah. But she does not seem to possess that kind of ambition. She does. She never gives voice to that, ever. Right. wonder why. I get the feeling that she does want to be a captain, but I wonder if it's a, if it's a, like part of her kind of Vulcan aspect to her personality where she's mm. just doing the math really dispassionately and she's saying like, I would like to be a captain, but he's like in a, 
you know, in a position to be a better captain right now or, or something like that? I'm struggling to recall a moment in time where Michael was not always the XO with another opinion or another course of action to offer to a leader or a captain. It would be very different to see her as someone for whom those are given instead of the giver, right? So much for her personality is is that. Have we ever seen her get left in the captain's chair? Like, I feel like we've seen Arium in the captain's chair more than we've seen Michael. Yeah, that's strange, and it seems intentional. We go up to the space dock where the disco is being patched back together, and uh, it's like like most of the big uh, items are crossed off the to-do list, but it's still, there's still a long way to go, and so we get a little round the horn checking in on where, where different people are. Tilly is on another starship visiting her father. Stamets is visiting Hugh Culber's parents at a family Mexican restaurant. <laughs> are you just saying that based on the color palette? No, I'm just saying that that's a thing that people do. Yeah. You know, you meet the, you meet the parents-in-law at their at their restaurant of choice. Often that restaurant is a family Mexican restaurant. That's certainly my in-laws' restaurant of choice. Yeah. Oh, oh, climbing Mount Everest. Yeah, like putting a third notch in her Everest headboard, I guess. Do you think that that's like, do you think that that's kind of like a basic mountain to climb in a universe where you can travel to lots of different planets? In a future universe, it's probably not the challenge that is the attraction. It's the idea of going to clean it, probably. (laughs) You see the little frame of her chiseling a frozen piece of shit out of a a rock face. (laughs) I've done my part. (laughs) Uh, But Admiral Bob gives Saru a job. There is a ship that has gone missing. It's the USS Dorothy Garad. There are two different parts in this uh, in this comic so far that uh, I spotted, like references to Star Trek Discovery novels, mm, and yeah. uh, and this ship is apparently a a ship that plays a part in one of the Star Trek Discovery novels. I looked up Dorothy Garage. She's the first woman to ever hold an Oxbridge chair. She was like a paleontologist or something. Cool. Yeah. It's interesting to see what footnotes look like in comic books. Because yeah. you do this a couple times, you're right, they'll they'll throw an asterisk there and then they'll drop a box that say, like, this is referring to uh, a novel yeah. or whatever. I feel like they uh, are doing that more in this than I am accustomed to. Like the, right. the previous comics we've read, there, I guess, wasn't as much ancillary media to draw on yeah. and they didn't need to situate it in time because it was pretty obvious where where in time it was taking place. Right. Um, Bob is sending Saru out uh, on a rescue mission because the Garad has, they've lost contact with the Garad, and uh, Tilly's on board that ship, as we learned through the vignettes of people taking their shore leave, and uh, she sort of pitches it as a test of Saru's ability as a captain, Yeah, Saru's like, look, this ship is not exactly uh, the perfect choice for this because everyone's away. (laughs) <laughs> and it's still being repaired, so a lot of the systems don't work, and we're not at a full crew complement. And Admiral right. Bob like turns that into a positive. She's like, "Well, look, we're gonna view this as as a like job application, basically. Like we're gonna be 
judging you based on your ability to do this mission. So we're going to be kicking your captain tires. Yeah. So like you, you go out with the crew that you've got, not the crew that you want. She recommends that, uh, that he take Burnham with him. He agrees with that and, uh, off they go. So it's kind of the, the idea is that it's a bit of a skeleton crew. They're not going out with a full crew compliment. Yeah. They're not recalling everyone. Right. But the Garad is, is studying like a weird nebula, right? Mm-hmm. It is described as a migratory pocket nebula. So like Michael Burnham is, is kind of using a lot of the same excuses that I do for not going to see the doctor. Mm-hmm. Just like, I'm sure it's fine. Like rub some dirt on it. It'll be like, <laughs> you know, like we're going to head out there. We're going to find that the Garad is there and it's just interference with its communication systems because of the nebula. It's hard enough to find the pocket nebula as it is without it being migratory, Ben. Mm, Yeah. Well, I try to stay out of the pocket nebula. Right. So they uh, they arrive, they find the ship outside the nebula, and they yeah, get kind of... easiest a, search mission of all time. <laughs> yeah, they basically go directly there, and uh, they're greeted with, with kind of a uh, sparky, staticky FaceTime with Tilly, who's who's warning them of an ambush. And then as soon as they sort of parse that information, six transporter signals appear on sensors and they're gone. Like the ship is empty. And Saru, having heard that Tilly's message is sort of like ambush adjacent, Mm -hmm. is like, hey, Michael, why don't you just go over there and, and inspect what the deal is? Like, the idea of putting shields up or going on alert in any in any way is not top of mind. It's like, go investigate. I'm not really sure what you would do other than go check it out, but... Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we don't get much information about what the disco is doing, W slash R slash T shields or some kind of readiness posture. Yeah. Uh, which I, I feel like I would have liked one little frame where he says, like, yellow alert shields... Yeah. So Michael beams over with a Dustbuster Club, and they're in, like, body armor with, like, full phaser rifles. Yeah, and they do that thing where they beam over in a in a semicircle with, yeah. with phasers pointed out. That's fun. I always love that. And, th- and the place is empty. It's a dump. It looks kind of—it's like a, a car up on blocks in a bad, bad neighborhood. Like, all of the good stuff has been taken out of this ship. Yeah, they got the dangling cables— and uh, it's not long that they're over there before they start getting phasered to death. And uh, I didn't quite get this, like whether people were actually getting killed. Yeah, it seems like in a comic book context, if the beam goes through the body, I'm seeing that as as dead. Yeah. But then I was also confused because like, there's, there's a, a quick little action scene, and then we're back on the bridge of the disco, and... They say, like, there were there were 10 transporter signals, and Saru is like, well, that means there were five hostiles that beamed aboard and escaped with our security team, except for we saw six people beam over from the Discovery initially. Right. So does that mean that they know one person died or what? I don't know, man. I'm, con- I'm just baffled by, like, some of the math here. Yeah, it's unclear at this point if if that math is going to come up later in a missing person kind of way. Yeah. Suddenly the communications problems don't seem to be affecting them as much because a voice kind of shows up on, on the bridge and then uh, in short order is accompanied by a hologram. 
Yeah, it's pretty neat. We get uh, we get Vera, who's an Orion woman, responsible for taking the crew and stripping the ship for parts. I just always have liked space piracy stories in yeah. Star Trek. It feels like we get very few of them. Wasn't there like a Gene Roddenberry proscription against space pirate stories? Well, that was one of the ways that he was wrong, if so, because <laughs> this is a very fun kind of story to tell, and it's neat to see it in this in this Discovery universe. Yeah. So this is, uh, yeah, she's one of those green people. Vera's holding all the cards. Yeah. She's got hostages. She seems a little bit incredulous about uh, the ship that she's hooked in her trap. It seems to be a little bit bigger than she was expecting. Like, she mentions that. A better prize than she anticipated. Like, this was a an attempt to draw another Starfleet vessel out so that she could take it over, essentially. Yeah, and she's talking about... Uh, material and people in terms of their relative value. She tells Saru that he's got nothing to worry about. W slash R slash T, the condition of her hostages, uh, because she knows that healthy hostages are more valuable on the market. Um, <laughs> I, li- I liked how, um, how Saru is, like, even in this context, assumes good faith. Like, <laughs> he's yeah. like, how are you cloaking your ship? How are you doing this hologram right now? And she's like, why would I tell you that? (laughs) Yeah, he seems more interested in the science than he is about the emergency. Yeah, and for that reason, they have like a pretty long conversation. Like she is hologramming around the bridge for pages and pages. And yeah, the the idea is it's a bargain. Like she she wants to be paid for everything she's taken. I like that she does a little bit on her way off of the bridge, she like she could just snap her fingers and end communication, but instead she uh, she turns little and then disappears on <laughs> on the chair on the command chair. It's fun, <laughs> and they sort of like they write the text of her dialogue shrinking in proportion to her. Yeah, I like to imagine she's getting a little chipmunky at the end. Why not make yourself shrink if you're a hologram? Right, that's great. We get Michael Burnham being thrown into the holding cell of the Orions by some shirtless green men mm-hmm. uh, who Michael Burnham calls little green men, but they look pretty burly to me. They look they look like they're uh, they're fairly big green men. Yeah. Like men green men that you would not want to pick a fight with at a bar. No, they're they're Hulkmen. Yeah. Almost. Uh, inside this holding cell Michael Burnham meets the captain of the Dorothy Garad, and this is Captain Holden, yeah. uh, who who has kind of a Admiral Bob-like Bob going. Don't show this comic book to John Roderick. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, uh, they're in the brig along with Tilly, and uh, wondering how the hell they're going to get out of this mess. Tilly feeling pretty bad about uh, her responsibility. It was her idea to investigate the nebula. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think this is a feeling that Michael Burnham probably knows really well, uh, who for a long time felt like it was her fault that her parents died when they were uh, doing experiments near that star supernova. Yeah. Did you notice that Captain Holden didn't have the, like, gold uh, shoulder detail that other Captain uniforms have? Yeah, that's weird, right? I I wonder if it's. I wonder if, if she's, because she's on a lesser vessel... 
Yeah, she she's like on a on a science vessel. Maybe she isn't. Yeah. Maybe she, she's like the captain of the ship, but not technically a captain in rank or something like that. Was it your understanding that this w- this was Tilly's dad's ship? Yeah, but he he must have a job not captain on it. I wonder if that's going to be where the story goes. Because yeah. uh, Papa Tilly does not appear in the first half of the comic. They do uh, appear to be doing a a gender segregated holding cell situation on this uh, Orion installation or spaceship. With how sexualized the Orions are, I kind of understand that from them. <laughs> that makes sense. I guess they're saying it's a ship, right? Because they say, like, who's building? who builds a ship out of actual metal? It doesn't make any sense. Mm-hmm. Unless they're confused about where they are and they're not on a ship. Maybe yeah. Maybe they beamed far, far away. Maybe. Well, uh, that is uh is where we stop right yeah there's there's sort of a there's sort of a moment of hope there's a like there's this is the break in the comic where people feel like hope might be lost but michael burnham says the discovery is still out there so so there's a chance so you're saying there's a chance (laughs) wait a minute what was all that one in a million talk What'd you think of the first half of this comic book, Ben? Did it uh, hold your attention? Does it have you excited for the second half? I am excited for the second half. I, uh, I'm not sure. If, is this the same artist as we've uh, as we've seen before? I know it's the same. It's it's Kirsten Bayer still who's running the story. So in that way, it is. Uh, it's all connected. But the artwork does look in keeping with everything else. This is uh, Angel Hernandez who does the art here, and I want to say that's the same artist who's done the other disco books we've read angel hernandez or angel maybe uh did the previous star trek discovery annual so yeah same uh same inkist but i I think i like the drawings a little bit better in this one than the previous ones i feel like the uh the there's like it's like a lot moodier and Mm -hmm. feels a little bit more set in the world and i wonder if that's maybe just a creative choice based on where in the timeline this takes place yeah but uh but yeah it's uh it's it was fun to read fun to look at and uh i am very curious to see what saru does cuz it does seem like saru maybe took a a needless risk in beaming an away team over to that ship so if uh if he's trying to make himself look Starfleet, like Starfleet Captain Material, this would be, this would be a problem that he needs to solve fairly urgently, <laughs> but also like save everybody's life. Would you like the chances of mission success here if this were post-pubescent Saru? Yes. <laughs> Me too. I feel like he would have already killed everybody on the yeah <laughs> on the Orion ship. Yeah, I mean, if not killed, like aggressively pursued. This this would be this would be a comic book about Saru's trial for like <laughs> wildly overreacting. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I liked I liked the first half too, Ben. I really like uh, every every frame where we have the ship or the pair of ships. I think especially looks really good. I like when the ships are backlit and then they cast shadows on other ships. Yeah, I think they do a good job of that in this. In this book, and also uh, the you know sometimes you'll read these comics and like the characters won't look like themselves in a, in a frame or two. Yeah, I feel like all of the uh, depictions are really photorealistic and good. Yeah, they really nailed them. 
Yeah. Uh, do you want to see if we have any Priority One messages, Adam? Yeah. Priority One message from Starfleet coming in on Secured Channel. Ben, our first Priority One message is from Christina Waddle. It's for Ryan Brody. The message goes like this. Happy 40th birthday, Ryan. My husband and my best friend. We are in challenging times. Building a career, raising kids, paying a mortgage, and the other demands of life. Thank goodness for Star Trek reruns. (laughs) After the kids are in bed, you are a wonderful husband and father. I look forward to the next stages of life together. And in parentheses... Christina Waddle says that Ryan was at the Vancouver show. Cool. 40, huh? I know that feeling, Ryan. Yeah. Just got there myself. You and Ryan are the same age. It's true. It's really true. When are you going to be 40, Ben? Like six years from now? Five years from now. Less less than five years. Four and a bit. Wow. I often forget I am so, so, so much older than you. <laughs> yeah, you uh, you were already, already out of high school by the time I got there. Yeah. You would have hated me at that age. <laughs> <laughs> I would have given you a run for your money because I hated myself at that age, too. Everyone in high school is hateable, Ben. Yeah. Uh, we have another Priority One message here. Uh, Adam, it's from Brandon. It's to Straight Mike. And uh, this is uh, requested that I do it in a Vokesent. Oh, boy. Dear Mike, happy birthday! Since we are not the type of friends who hug each other, consider this your birthday hug! (laughs) Feels good, doesn't it? Thank you for introducing me to the Uxbridge Shimodaverse. You are the Ben to my Adam. <laughs> because you wear glasses and are tall, and I am always using the bathroom. <laughs> kapla! That is a delight. I added my kapla at the end. I love Vogue voice. That One of the fun. great voices. Yeah. I wish, uh, like, it took me a while to warm up to the NU umlaut Klingons. Uh-huh. But uh, now I wish they were all Klingons. <laughs> yeah, I do too. That's weird, right? Yeah, they're they're the definitive Klingons to me now. Yeah, we really came around to the other side. Well, uh, if you have a priority one message for us to read in any kind of voice, you can go to maximumfund.org/jumbotron, where personal messages are one hundred dollars and commercial messages are two hundred dollars, both of which help keep the show going. And support the greatest discovery. And a happy birthday to one and all. What do you think of when you think of male grooming? Maybe it's a sharp haircut and a little bit of product. Or a bit of the old beard wax twisted into the ends of a mustache. Maybe it's a shower, a shave, a little spritz of fragrance. Me? I think of shaving my nuts. And not just my nuts, all around those nuts. I'm talking all around those nuts. And this form of male grooming is hard to do when your junk looks like a log of Play-Doh rolled through a dustpan in a barber shop. It's wrinkly, it's wriggly, nothing stays in place, and it's the one area where you don't want to have an accident. That's why I'm glad we're sponsored by the spring cleaning champions at Manscaped. They sent me their brand new lawnmower 5.0 Ultra. It's their fifth generation trimmer. 
featuring two interchangeable next-gen skin-safe blade heads, a standard one for taking a little bit off the top, and a new foil blade to go smooth wherever your heart desires. They also sent me an extra-large Manscaped t-shirt, which I will never wear, but it was nice of them to do. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code TREK at manscaped.com. That's 20% off and free shipping with the code TREK at manscaped.com. Nothing like a little spring cleaning in your pants. I spent a lot of last week sick in bed. And one thing I was so happy I had when I needed something to eat but didn't really have the energy to cook myself something was Factor Meals. Got a couple of these in the fridge at all times, and they are delicious, fresh, never-frozen, chef-crafted meals, and they're ready to go in just about two minutes. And this is convenience food that is actually tasty and full of real ingredients and not hyper-processed crap. And they got you covered all throughout the day. They got pancakes, smoothies, grab-and-go bites, and uh, you can get as much or as little as you need by choosing your meals every week. Plus, you can pause and reschedule deliveries at any time. So head to factormeals.com slash trek50 and use code trek50 to get 50% off. That's code trek50 at factormeals.com slash trek50 to get 50% off. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on. Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. Hey, Ben. What's that, Adam? Did you discover yourself a drunk Shimoda in this comic book? Incredible. I did, Adam. Uh, I'm going to give it to Tilly for uh, being in jail and yet nerding out about metallurgy. Mm. <laughs> the uh, It seems like her primary concern is the construction materials the Orions have chosen and not how to get out, <laughs> how to get out of the bind. Ben, my, mine is Tilly, too. <laughs> But it's because she took shore leave, like, by working. She kind of did the busman's holiday. Like <laughs> She really she's did. E- she's even in a uniform when they find her in that Orion jail. So, like, she was clearly there working. That doesn't seem like a fun shore leave. 
She is driven. She's doing that thing that a lot of young people do, which is work themselves to the bone. Yeah. Gotta gotta recharge the bats from time to time. I didn't take summers off. I once I started working I I never stopped. Yeah. I guess until now. <laughs> <laughs> well this is fun, Ben. Uh, yeah. first half of a of a of a long comic book. I love off season Star Trek Discovery episodes for that reason. It gives us a chance to get into some media that we weren't able to uh, while the show was on. Yeah, I, I genuinely really enjoy this, and um, and I hope uh, I hope people are sticking with us. If you enjoy this, tell your friends uh, about the greatest discovery, soon to be maybe having a different name. <laughs> <laughs> Soon to be a new Star Trek podcast. <laughs> Fuck, that's going to stick, isn't it? No. We've we got to come up with something better. We cannot we, we, have that. Okay, yeah, it's got to be something better. Uh, Please. Send your suggestions to people that aren't us. Um, and uh, yeah, uh, I guess we'll throw to Rob's from here. Here's what you can send us. Uh, artwork for the the never going to happen a new Star Trek podcast. <laughs> I would yeah. like to see what you guys come up with. I would like to as see a the logo. album art of that for sure. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Robs, take it from here, dude. The greatest discovery is a maximum fun podcast, hosted by Adam Pranica and Ben Harrison, and it's produced and edited by me, Rob Schulte. Our theme music is by Adam Ragusia. Head on over to MaximumFun.org slash donate to support the ongoing production of our show. And a nice free way to support the show is to head on over to Apple Podcasts and give us a five-star rating and review. You can find Ben on Twitter at BenjaminAHR, Adam is at CutForTime, and I'm at Rob K. Schulte. All right, thanks. We'll see you next time. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.